Hello, Kathy Norman Peterson. Hi, Ed Gilbreth. And welcome to episode three of the Covcast from the editors of the Covenant Companion. We have a rather full edition of the Covcast this time, so we're going to dive straight in. There's uh, so much to talk about and a lot going on in the world, even as we record this. And we're not exactly sure when this is going to drop, so we don't want to date things too much. But um, lot, a lot happening in the news around, uh, well, the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of Me Too and um, some other news happening in, in, in Washington and lots of things that have, uh, have us talking. And uh, I think as I looked at um, some of the, the, uh, the material and the interviews and uh, content that we have for this episode, it sort of points in the direction uh, of a lot that's happening in our culture right now. Yeah, I think it's uh, maybe given us an opportunity to talk about women and women speaking and having their voices heard or having their roles um, validated and empowered. Um, so I think that opportunity feels important. We're talking about things that really hit people where they are. And the Covenant is a, um, uh, a unique place to have those conversations, too, being that we uh, we come from more of an egalitarian uh <laughs> approach to things in our ministry and, and uh, value women's voices and leadership. Um, I'm just curious about your journey. I don't know how much you want to share, and we don't have a huge amount of time, so I'll spare you in that regard. But um, what are your thoughts? I mean, just with all that's happening and, and uh, so much uh, tension around this issue, um, what have you been hearing in the covenant in terms of uh, – um, just some of the reactions to things that are happening. One thing that's happening this week is the um, there's a video that's gone a little bit viral in some circles from the Lutherans talking about women in ministry. And um, they have men reading statements on the video that women have received um, about being a woman in, in the pulpit or preaching. Um, and it just points to how prevalent it is for lack of respect and lack of access. Um, I think it's as common in the church as it is in the culture, and that's super sad, but I think we have more tools and, and uh, ability to actually talk about healing than maybe our culture does without the faith aspect. Yes. Well, um, maybe a good time to, to uh, let our readers know of uh, some upcoming uh, content in a the future issue of the Companion. I think I'm thinking of the November December issue, and I'm thinking oh, of coming? an interview that we did with uh, the author Kathy Kong around her new book, Raise Your Voice. Yeah, her book is coming out at a very timely space in our culture. I think that was a little bit of a fluke, but. She wrote a book about raising your voice, and, and we talked to her a little bit about um, how women can do that. All right, Kathy, here's the question that we wanted to at least start this, this part of the conversation with. How does the message of your book relate to our current conversations about Me Too and Church Too? <laughs> they have everything to do with uh, Me Too and Church Too, and... Um, you know, the conversation isn't limited to 
Hollywood and uh, the inter- entertainment industry. It's not limited to the Catholic Church or the mega church. Um, but that uh, abuse is happening, um, sexual abuse is happening, and um, women by and large have felt silenced, um, have been silenced, and are beginning to find ways and spaces to make their voices heard. And I think that that's one of the great things about social media for all of the negative things that we can talk about happening um, in the virtual space. I think it is one of those places where it gives people opportunity to um, put their stories out there and to find other people uh, who will listen and believe them. So how do you think women specifically can or should be raising their voices? Like, what would you like to say to that group of readers? Oh, goodness. Um, I would like them to know that before they utter a word um, out loud or write anything that God already knows, God already knows and hears um, their stories and um, has heard and knows their pain. Um, And then I want them to know that uh, there are people who believe them and are waiting uh, and holding space for them to uh, speak truth, speak truth to power, to um, tell us what has happened, and to um, help us find a way forward in this. I think particularly um, women who've grown up in more um, conservative spaces, there are just a lot of unspoken and spoken rules around when women can speak or should be heard and in what circles. And again, I think it's uh, a new day with the access of not only social media, but of, um, of using and having the opportunity to gather information from social media. So it's not just a way to push out a message, but it's also to receive and to hear and to find community and resources. Hmm. I think that's beautiful thinking about God already knowing. I I don't hear people Mm -hmm. say it like that very often. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think that that's the hard part of it all. We, you know, I want readers to remember, and that's why I made sure to root the book in scripture is that, um, these are not new stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this is not a new experience. Um, finding one's voice, feeling like an imposter, wondering if anyone will believe, and risking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that has happened, and that continues to happen. And so I do think that that's important for readers to engage with, is that um, God is present. And if we don't believe that, I'm not really sure why we would bother making a ruckus. Okay. Um, Some very insightful words there from uh, Kathy Kong. Uh, Something to to digest and to really uh, ponder. What are your thoughts, Kathy? I really appreciate how she is prophetic yet encouraging to the church. 
Um, I find it really moving that she says, God already knows these stories that people are telling. So it takes all this courage to come forward and, and reveal something so personal and painful. But God's already in that story all along. So I, I love that. That's really inspiring and hopeful to me. Um, readers should go find her article when it comes out in the November, December issue. And uh, I don't think I've told you yet. Hey, if you don't already subscribe to The Companion, you need to go to covenantcompanion.com and look up in the uh, upper right-hand corner there to subscribe. And uh, we would really appreciate that. And if you could help us get the word out about the great ministry of uh, The Covenant Companion, that would be great. Hey, we are going to take a short break right now. Um, but when we come back, we'll hear... Uh, in our continuing series of uh, um, Cove Talks from the uh, recent annual meeting back in June. I am. I am. I am. I am a finance manager. I am a granddaughter. I am overwhelmed. I am loved. I am seeking to make a difference. I am a proud adoptive parent. I am Puerto Rican. <laughs> I am happy. <laughs> I'm a mess. <laughs> I am a fighter. I am a mother. I am a feminist. I am a grandmother. I am pastor. I am a planter. I am healing. I am a leader. I'm creative. I am my father's daughter. I am fighting cancer. I am. I am. I am the daughter. The daughter. I am the daughter. The daughter. The daughter of the great. I am. I am. A triennial gathering for women, by women. Coming July 2019. For information, go to iam.covchurch.org. And we're back. So, hey, last in the last episode, uh, Kathy, we heard from... Uh, Pastor Ephraim Smith sharing about what he's learned about um, racial inclusion in the church. Do you remember that? I remember that. It was a great segment from the Cove Talks that were featured at the last annual meeting, actually at the ministerium meeting that happened during the annual meeting back in June. Anyway, Pastor Tim Rogers of New Life Covenant Church in Atlanta was also on that Cove Talks lineup. Tim co-pastored New Life with Catherine Gilliard, who is now the superintendent of the Southeast Conference. Tim's Cove Talk was about what he's learned about women in pastoral leadership. And I have to say, like Ephraim's message, this one was very insightful. So we're going to take a listen now to Tim's message. And on the other side of that, we'll come back with a very special guest. I am Tim Rogers, pastor at New Life Covenant Church. I've been there for nearly uh, 20 years. I served uh, two years under Dr. Owens, and then uh, nine years as a solo pastor at New Life, and then eight years alongside Catherine Gilliard, as uh, uh, eventually, in much of that time, as co-pastors. And it's the story of those last eight years that I want to share with you in the next eight minutes. So I have a year, uh, one minute per year, so we need to cruise. It was eight years ago that Catherine and I shared a ride to the Southeast Conference Ministerial Retreat in southern Georgia. And on that ride, she shared with me a phrase that has become a constant refrain in our life together in ministry. She said, uh, Tim, you know, there is no mess like church mess. 
And from that moment, those words became a part of our vocabulary. They're part joke, but mostly truth and mostly reality in our context. No mess like church mess. And as I mentioned, I served as a solo pastor for nine years. But on that drive eight years ago, God opened a door for me uh, to stop going it alone. Uh, Catherine happened to be in the season when she was not involved in vocational ministry. So I said, would you come to New Life, give me a break preaching, give us a fresh set of eyes, tell me what you see. And she did that, and that quickly led to a role as associate pastor at New Life. And we served in that uh, fashion for another three years, pastor, associate pastor. But it quickly became clear to me that we were, uh, in reality, serving as co-leaders, as co-pastors, as equals. And so I proposed to her that we should uh, bring to the church a new model for us in leadership, co-pastors, equals, same salaries, same titles, uh, and bring that to our leadership. So I brought that uh, to the leadership. Well, first, her response, uh, this is when that refrain came up, because she responded, she said, I'm willing if you are willing, but are you really sure you want to do that? She says, because it's going to get messy, and there's no mess like church mess. And I agreed it would probably get messy. I wasn't naive about that, but hey, it's not church without a mess. And if you're going to have a mess, it might as well be about something other than the color of the carpet and the color of the walls. It might be about something significant and real uh, that's important to us. So we proceeded, and we went to the leadership, went to the church. We spent many months in discussing discussions, um, talking this through, and at every point, uh, there was enthusiasm and unanimous approval in this process. We uh, took our new titles, we took salaries that matched, we remodeled the office wing of our building with two offices of the same size separated by a third office in the middle. That was our prayer room, which reflected our co-leadership rooted in prayer. It was a beautiful transition. I believe we did it as well as we possibly could have done it. And it set us on a good trajectory. <clears throat> For me personally, these eight years have been the richest years of ministry at New Life. Of course, the camaraderie of being together in ministry after going alone for nine years was a wonderful gift. But the gift of going with a woman co-leader uh, went far beyond camaraderie. It was an opportunity for me to begin to see the world through different eyes, uh, to see the world through someone who doesn't enjoy all the privileges that I enjoy in this world. It's one thing to hear how women in ministry are treated. Uh, but it's another thing to witness it with my eyes firsthand with my co-leader right beside me. I can't tell you how many meetings that Catherine and I were a part of, uh, usually with people outside the church who didn't know us real well, come inside the church, uh, where it was as if Catherine was completely invisible. Uh, they, men and women come into our meeting and sit down, assume that I'm the one in charge, that I'm the one in authority, that uh, only talk to me, only look at me, and only listen to me. Now, of course, women know that that goes down all the time. But watching it happen to someone I respect, uh, who probably had more to say on the topic, if you know our personalities anyway, than I did, was painful. And it was so common that we began to prearrange the room, our seating assignments, so that the guests would sit next to me and Catherine would sit across the table and they would have to look at her and acknowledge that she was in the room with us. And none of these men and women came to that meeting, I'm convinced, saying in their minds, I'm going to ignore the woman in the room and talk to only the man. But it was their unconscious bias that led them, dictated the way they related to each of us. And Catherine and I would process the meetings afterwards, and I would usually say, did you see that? Can you believe that? And of course she saw it. <laughs> she lives it. <laughs> but over time, uh, working closely with Catherine, I became more and more aware 
of the bias at work in the world around us and the bias in the world within me, my own mess, if you will. Uh, many examples, but one, as we uh, looked at building plans for a building renovation, uh, why did I look to the men in the room first rather than to Catherine, who happens to have a degree in architecture? <laughs> I began to ask why many times, one of many, many examples. So for me, this was a season of wonderful growth personally, learning to see the world from a slightly different perspective and having deeper awareness. But ministry is not simply about us in leadership. It's about uh, the whole of the church. And our co-leadership had a profound impact on the whole life of the church. Immediately, we saw more women engage in the life of our body. Uh, and we saw those who were on the fringe, especially, step into new roles of leadership with their gifts and uh, take on new responsibility. It was a wonderful uh, thing to see. Uh, we were clearly connecting with different people. We have different voices, different perspectives, different styles, and that was connecting with the diversity of our body in a wonderful way. And we also found there's power in doing things male and female. Uh, people who write me off, Catherine might have access and voice in, among those people, and people who write her off, I have access and respect among those people. So we're able to accomplish things we might not have been able to accomplish otherwise. And we've witnessed co-leadership make its way into all kinds of areas in the church. For example, in our, our marriage group has uh, grown much stronger, both in numbers, but also in depth. Because when you model male, female sharing power in leadership, it begins to bring up a lot of questions in marriage. What should our marriages look like, male and female, as we share power together uh, in marriage? I could continue with many examples of blessings, but let me go back to the messiness. Because you might be surprised to know that not everyone experienced having a woman pastor as sheer joy. <laughs> Outside the church, uh, there were some in our community that said they would never come to a church with a woman pastor. And there were others in our community who said they would never come to a church with a white pastor. So together, we were a fully offensive package. <laughs> in other words, this is not a good model for church growth. But that's not the real mess I want to talk about this morning. We can handle that mess. The real mess was within the church. We lost a number of uh, young leaders and some ugly departures within a year of our transition. Now, all of them knew our theological position. I had preached it many times before, and certainly in the transition we had preached it. None of them said that uh, gender had anything to do with the reason for their leaving. But reflecting back now, I am convinced that gender played a very significant role in their relating to each of us and in their departure from the church, even if they were not aware of it. Their departure, in the end, wasn't the problem. The problem was the year-long mess it created uh, because they could not acknowledge their disrespect for women in leadership, whether they're aware of it or not. It was never acknowledged, never voiced, but it leaked out in all kinds of dysfunctional, messy ways. And we can say in those times, there is no mess like church mess. I've learned a great deal over the last years, probably most significantly is that when it comes to issues like gender and the other issues we're talking about, people often are not governed as much by theological convictions as deeply held bias. And this unconscious bias is a deep river with strong, strong currents. And we need sound teaching, but we need more than sound teaching. 
We need to create self-awareness, bring what is unconscious to the surface so that we can begin to address the behaviors, the way that we live together in community. And so in our context, I try to share examples when I see that bias at work around us in the world and among us as a community, and also my own examples of bias, as you heard this morning. But most importantly, we make space for intentional conversations around our bias. We make it a part of the rhythm of the life of our church. Uh, every quarter, we spend four hours on a Saturday discussing uh, how we are to live as a community across lines of race, class, and gender, four hours talking about issues of bias, trying to bring deeper self-awareness. And so for gender, we spent a year preaching on a Sunday quarterly, preaching on the uh, topic, and then the following Saturday, spending four hours talking about uh, how that relates to our own awareness of our bias and how we can bring that into the light and begin to live differently as a community. And these intentional discussions on race, class, and gender over five years, part of the rhythm of the church, have uh, deeply changed the whole culture of the church, bringing what is hidden into the light. So there is no mess like church mess. And confronting deeply held bias will be messy. But I'm reminded of the opening image. I'm encouraged by the opening image of our larger story. The Spirit of God who hovered over the mess of pre-creation to bring order and beauty and life out of that mess is the same God who still hovers over our mess to bring life, order, and beauty, even to church mess. Amen. That was Pastor Tim Rogers sharing some powerful and challenging reflections on what he has learned about women in pastoral leadership. And now we have the privilege to be joined by Catherine Gilliard, who was the co-pastor at New Life Covenant that Tim was uh, uh, sharing about. She's also the former president of the Covenant Ministerium, and now in her new role as superintendent of the Southeast Conference of the ECC. Hey, Catherine, thanks for joining us on the CoveCast. Thank you so much, Ed, for having me. So tell us about that Cove talk with Tim Rogers. He said you told him there's no mess like church mess. Uh, we heard his perspective on your ministry together. What about yours? What would you add to uh, what he shared? Well, that saying was really um, from a roommate of mine in college. He was the daughter of a pastor, and uh, this is long before I even dreamed that God would call me into pastoral ministry, and that was a phrase that she used often, and as I continued to serve, I, the depth of what she shared really began to unfold for me, and it's all involved around the spiritual attack of people who are really doing kingdom work well. Um, we cast ourselves out there to try to make a difference in uh, the lives of people and make sure that everyone understands the depth of being obedient to God's call on your life, and especially for women who struggle with a lot of the cultural norms to say that God couldn't possibly be calling you to do this. And so um, in being faithful to our call, sometimes we often have to deal with um people projecting their challenges onto us and how do we continue to live faithfully and serve faithfully knowing that God called us and gifted us to do the roles that he's called us to as women. And so um, when Pastor Tim and I would minister together, 
I would often share that this is a part of my daily challenge as a leader in the church. And as we would walk together, it became more and more pronounced to him um, as he would sit in meetings and he would often uh, witness firsthand some of the things that uh, we have to negotiate as part of our daily call as women. Catherine, what do you think the church needs to do to better empower women in ministry? I think one of the things that we could do is help prepare women who are going to be uh, leaders in the church to understand that it's not their responsibility to prove that God called them, Mm. that um, they are gifted and are to be obedient to the call as God would call any person. Um, And I think that a lot of times women are, who are in pastoral leadership especially, are not prepared for the many ways in which they will be challenged to rethink the fact that God actually called and gifted them for that role. So preparation of future leaders, um, I think, would be a really gigantic step for the church, helping women discern calls is another important step that we could take. But also, this is work for the whole church, and I think that the teaching of our young boys and our men and our colleagues, that God really continues to call all of us to be faithful, and to use our gifts for the whole church, and how do we make room for, uh, in our understanding, that God can use whoever God deems he wants to call. And I think that's the important uh, next step for us as we begin to shape and be shaped and formed by the scripture, that it's God who gives, gives, gifts, and it is our responsibility to make room for those gifts, those gifts to have full operation in the church. That's great. Um, I want to shift a little bit to the conversation, to what's going on in our culture right now. We're in the midst of Me Too, both in the culture and in the church. And I'm wondering, like, what are your thoughts about how the church needs to engage those challenges and that movement right now? I think it's important for us to recognize that this isn't something that's happening out there. This is something that's happening inside the church as well. Um, in our prophetic proclamations, we have to be comfortable with naming the pain that a lot of the people, men and women, who are sitting in our pews pews are trying to um, wrestle with. Uh, many of them have been victims. Some have been perpetrators. And um, how do we begin to help them move to a place of healing, a place of restoration, a place where we can begin to have conversations about what it means to use power in a way that's destructive or um, oppressive to other people. And I think the church has been silent way too long and given permission for uh, other people to not be able to come forward and to share pain in a way that can be redemptive. And so I think that the church needs to... um, find ways in which we are now prepared for uh, the reality that many of our young boys and our young girls will be coming forth and sharing with us incidents that they are now trying to figure out how to navigate, and are we prepared for that conversation? 
Do we have resources available to help walk with them? Are there places in which we can mediate um, reconciliation? Um, can we do the work that we need to do to help people understand that um, some of these life-altering incidences will not be solved quickly, but that the church can be a community where healing can take place? Yeah, that's really powerful. Yes, thank you. Well, Catherine, um, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, note that you are uh, the third woman and the first woman of color to be elected to uh, a superintendent role in the, uh, the ECC, uh, which is very exciting. Could you share a little bit about uh, that, the journey to, uh, to this new role and um, how things have been uh, as you've been living into this role over the last few weeks? Well, Ed, it really saddens me that in 2018 that that is our reality, that I would be the first. Let's start with that piece. Um, I think that there are a lot of gifted women um, in the church who should be prepared and ushered into places of leadership, especially non-white women. There are, are um, ways in which we can prepare them for call, and I just think that the Lord, following the Holy Spirit's leading, has really allowed me to step into each next level of call. I wish it were true that my journey wasn't filled with me being the first and only, but my journey to this position has been one series of steps of saying yes and being the first and only woman, uh, first and only woman of color, first and only um, person to do whatever it was God called me to. And it's a series of those things unfolding in my life that really have um, opened this door for me to be able to uh, walk into this position of call. Now, this is, it's important to me to always try to do well because I don't want um, my limited understanding, experiences, uh, my mistakes to in any way allow people to use that as, a, as an excuse not to call and give opportunity to other younger women um, to step right. forth and do what God's called them to do. So sometimes it's this added on responsibility when you're first, you don't want to be only. And I think Jerome Nelson, who was the first African-American superintendent in the covenant, told me uh, that, and it was profound when he said it, he says, if I am first, that's wonderful, but if I'm the only, then that's mm -hmm. a problem. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the way I've lived, um, have, having heard him say that. I always think about, are there ways in which uh, my example in leadership can be modeled in a way that allows people to be open to other people serving in leadership roles? You know, our projection of what, how we see people really determine whether or not we can see them as leaders. And I think it's important for those of us who get this opportunity to find ways in which we can help others see not just us as leaders, but other uh, non-white, younger, older um, colleagues as leaders. Very good. Amen. Yes, amen. Thank you. Thanks, Catherine, for your your uh, your passion and your courage. And and uh, I'm a uh, 
praying and pretty confident that you will not be uh, the last. So, um, well, praise God for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to join us on the Covcast, Catherine. And um, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we take off? I just ask for everyone's prayers as we continue to try to pastor and lead in this climate that's going across the country. We really want to be faithful and good stewards of all that God has given to us. And I pray that God will show us and continue to allow us to follow the Holy Spirit's leading to be a stronger witness for Christ in the world. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Hey, this is Ed, and I want to tell you about The Covenant Companion. The Companion is more than a magazine. It's your church. The Companion connects more than 850 congregations of diverse backgrounds, united in our call to love God and serve others. It's your resource. From articles to ads, The Companion keeps you informed with the news, events, and ministry opportunities you need to know about. It's your story. Each issue features testimonies, interviews, and profiles of God at work in the church, in the world, and in our lives. It's your magazine. Whether you're a pastor or a layperson, a longtime reader or new to the church, The Companion provides the insight and encouragement you need as an engaged member of the Covenant community. So stay connected, inspired, and engaged. Subscribe today to The Covenant Companion at covenantcompanion.com. Hey, we're back. So here we are, Kathy, at the end of another episode of the Covcast. And uh, you know what time that is, right? Are we going to hear from people why they love the Cov? That is so true. You got it. At the close of each episode, we, we hear from folks from all around the Covenant about why they love the Cov. And uh, we have a special one to uh, close us off this episode. So let's listen. Uh, my name is Dick Nelson. I'm a member of First Evangelical Covenant Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I've been a member for about 35 years now, which is maybe half of my uh, time that I have spent in churches. Uh, and uh, I'm staying with First Covenant and with the Evangelical Covenant because I have found things to love. I have to start, first of all, by saying that uh, I love my home congregation. Uh, we preach the word, care for one another, and serve in our community. But I'd like to talk a little bit more today about uh, the Covenant as a loving and courageous organization that serves the needs of others. Recently, I had two opportunities to see that extraordinary loving service at work. Uh, the first was at a Covenant Retirement Community. Those communities are open to members of the Covenant, uh, Christians who aren't members of the Covenant, and people who are not Christians, uh, but they know that they're moving into a Christ Christian atmosphere. The Covenant Re Retirement Community was a place where seniors have an opportunity for warm friendships and support, comfortable living, certainly spiritual care, and care where they're, when they're sick or disabled. It's a great place. Very close by that retirement community, I visited a covenant program serving children with autism or intellectual disabilities. 
We care for children there whose needs are too severe for the public schools to properly care for and educate them. So it's the Covenant that is operating a program called Edelbrook. It provides residential care, a school curriculum, and behavioral health supports to these children. Both of these great programs demonstrate the Covenant's commitment to loving others. Outsiders may see the Covenant as a small denomination, but I see the Covenant as a denomination with great love for God and for others. That was Dick Nelson from Lincoln, Nebraska. And we are grateful to Dick for sharing his heart and for calling our attention to the excellent work the Covenant is doing in these unique areas of compassionate ministry. And we also want to uh, let folks know out there that we want to hear your uh, stories of why you love the Cove. If you go to the covenantcompanion.com website and click on the Covecast area, you can send us a note about uh, your story, and we will uh, we would just love to get you on the air on a future episode of the Covecast. So please do that. So that brings us to the very end of another episode of the Covecast. Kathy, did you think we'd make it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was very confident. Yes. So we just want to thank everyone out there for joining us for this third episode. We'll be back in your feed soon with another edition of the Covcast. And as usual, we want to uh, encourage all of you to be sure to tell all your friends about this podcast, review us online, and share this in future episodes with uh, all your friends. And while you're online... Again, go on over to CovenantCompanion.com and subscribe to the magazine or send a subscription to a friend. Help us keep the covenant connected. Special thanks to my partner, Kathy Norman-Peterson, and to our uh, wonderful digital media extraordinaire producer, Eric Staswick. No, he's going to cut it out again. But uh, we'll be back uh, soon with episode four of the Covenant Companions Covcast. We hope to see you then. 